This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Brentford stunned Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, inspired once again by our favourite Christian Eriksen. Spurs make a dart for the top four. Everton make a dart for the bottom three. We'll talk about the latest in women's football and react to the old firm, as well as the World Cup draw. All that and more on this episode of The Game. Hello again, Hugh Wisencroft here alongside Alison Rudd and Tom Clark. Hope you had a great weekend. Uh, the football was pretty good as the Premier League returned domestic football back up and down the country. And maybe the result of the weekend is where we start. Brentford producing a magnificent display, recording their first victory over Chelsea since 1939. They came from behind to win 4-1, no less, at Stamford Bridge and... As ever, we have to mention him. Christian Eriksen continued his great form with his first B's goal. Alison, you were there. It was a special day for those Brentford fans. Oh, I was privileged to be there. I think, uh, honestly, best league game I've been at for quite a few years. Because the, the, the standard of football from the underdog was astonishing. And their attitude was amazing. They played really well in a goalless first half and should really have, have gone into half-time in the lead. Um, there was a few misses and you sort of think, oh, no, here we go again. Because Brentford have often played well and not got the points because they can't they can't finish. So you think, mm, what's going to happen? And then Chelsea take the lead with, a, in its own way, a romantic goal. Rudiger's a bit of a cult hero at the bridge. He's all, every match he has a 30, 40-yard effort and they all, they all have a laugh and he never scores and he did and uh, he pulled some silly faces went and hugged his manager and you think oh well they've clicked into gear now and no I mean Brentford just just took control of the game it, it was astonishing and I I was I spent a lot of the time watching not that I'm slightly obsessed or anything but I was watching Christian Eriksen because he's just so interesting to watch not just because of his the backstory of the fact that he's you know he's playing with an implant and you know he was technically dead not so long ago I mean it's phenomenal but the Chelsea fans when he went to take a corner kick they were all you know ecstatically applauding him um, he seemed to be given he seemed to be operate on a different plane almost he had that sort of surreal calm about him whenever he had the ball he never looked like he was in the middle of a Premier League match he looked like he was doing what he wanted in some sort of simulator or something it was remarkable how much time he had on the ball a lot of that is just because he's a very good player and knows how to do that um, but you know the fact that he was totally unmarked for, for his goal Brentford's second goal was slightly spooky and so I was, I was thinking what's going on here it's as if Nobody wants to be the player to really rough him up, tackle him, harry him, pull his shirt, knock him over, take him out. No one no one wants to be the player that does that. So afterwards, we had, um, again, this is all part of why it was a great game to be at. There was, I think, the first sort of managerial huddle I've been in um, since the COVID restrictions. So I was right underneath Thomas Tuchel's nose. And the press officer said, right, just a few questions, Alison. So I said, I said, um, Thomas, I said, this is a, a serious question. Did you uh, put into your prep the fairy tale element of Christian Eriksen? <laughs> and the look I got, and he went, are you an Eriksen fan? 
I can I think I can tell you are an ex Ericsson fan. Are you an Ericsson fan? I said, Well yeah, I am. And then he goes, You're asking the wrong manager. Ask the manager who is an Ericsson fan. I think the other manager is an Ericsson fan. Which I thought was a slightly odd response. <laughs> but did you then say but then, no, aren't you an Ericsson fan? No, no, I said, No, come on. I said, Did you factor in the fairy tale? I said, because he had the freedom of the pitch, his passing was superb, Chelsea fans were all madly in love with him. This this is not a normal preparation against a normal um elegant playmaker what did you account for the fairy tale and he said absolutely not we we accounted for his skill and we put Angolo Kante on him and he looked quite angry with the heck the question but I decided to run with it in my report for the times because I just I just feel that unless teams unless managers tell their players don't give him special treatment I think it's subconscious but don't give him special treatment don't give him space Really, you know, treat him like any other player. That he is going to die—he's <laughs> just hit the right form for his country and now his club. And and Brentford are just going to just glide through elegantly the rest of the season, unless unless opposition teams just take him a bit more. Well, don't, not take him more seriously than just just factor out the fairy tale bit because he's. He's just becoming this this sort of god on the pitch. And it's not just because... I mean, he's 30 years old. It's not just because he's a great player. It's because he's being given space and time, I think. And he's in the zone of... His manager said, Thomas Frank does this so well. He's asked about Ericsson all the time. And he doesn't get doesn't get cross, doesn't say, well, let's, let's talk about the football. He answers every question. But... The press are asking the questions about the fairy tale all the time. Thomas Frank's having to talk about it all the time. When Ericsson's interviewed, he's asked about it all the time. I think, I think opposition players need to think about how they're going to handle it. I'm just not sure whether, you know, maybe Thomas Tuchel was right, Alison. Maybe he knows what a big fan you are. And I'm slightly <laughs> surprised that you're not both reminding me of my slightly terrible prediction earlier on when he'd signed, saying it might take him a bit of time and that... Brentford might still be in relegation trouble. I was fully expecting that clip to reappear, to be honest. Because, you know, you yourself called it very early, didn't you? you called said. it exactly as it's unfolded, actually. Exactly I think as fine. it's unfolding. Touché, touché, absolutely. But I wonder whether the rest of us are still kind of catching up with you, to be honest. And, I, you know, I still find myself, even when he scored and kind of clashes with Mendy, I'm going, oh, God, oh, <laughs> my God, I hope he's all right. And obviously he'd just gone in for a challenge and scored. He just rolled over and jumped up and celebrated. I think we're all still a bit Brandon Williams, aren't we? The kind of the foul, pull him down and then go give him a cuddle. I, I, I certainly am. And maybe, you know, we're all just catching you up, Alison. May, maybe it'll go like this to the end of the season in a very nice way and we'll all enjoy it. But I, I think I completely take Do you think it point. was a fair question to ask? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's a great question to ask, because particularly in this game where now Chelsea have put themselves in a difficult position, principally, largely because they didn't do a job on Christian Eriksen. But I do, I do have a slight sympathy if if that is the case, that players are slightly stepping off him a little bit. Also, I think we've said many times, and it's been said elsewhere, Angolo Kante is probably the nicest man in football. Yeah. The most humble, loveliest man in football. I don't I don't think he wanted the job of shackling Christian Eriksen. No, well, that, you wouldn't, <laughs> would you? Would it? Just to play devil's advocate on your point, it's an excellent point. But as a footballer, 
particularly in this age of where, you know, social media clips, viral clips, people posting things, you don't want to be that first player that completely wipes him out, do you? You Like, Brandon Williams has done his career no harm whatsoever by giving him a cuddle a few weeks ago. You don't want to be the guy, the player, to clean Christian Eriksen out, take an early yellow card and kind of, you know, really do a job on him. So you're saying this is why he's getting so much space because opposition players are afraid... Of getting close to him, he's getting a lot of space because he's an excellent player, obviously, mm. um, and he's in he's in great form. But I, I, I do have a slight, um, yeah, I'm far I'm far too big a softy for this kind of a d- debate, perhaps. But I, I do have a slight sense of sympathy if that is the case that other players are going. It's just so remarkable. This guy was dead because <laughs> you would you would think it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Even in a even in a match. You turn around and go, oh god, there's, there he is. That's so, it. so essentially, both of you now feel Christian Eriksen is an actual superhero who has a mythical story around him, a legendary story around him, and he is now on a higher plane. I mean, to I the can other players com- out there. I can completely see where Alison is coming from. Yeah, <laughs> in that sense, obviously not in reality, but I can see why various factors are coming together to to allow that to happen. I would just the other thing as well is. I wonder whether, from Ericsson's point of view and Thomas Frank, as you say, they they almost want to get to the point. You know, Ericsson maybe should like do a really cynical foul against someone or something. Just get people booing him again. Well, he fouled Brandon Williams. Just to like, yeah, well, exactly. But that's my point. Is <laughs> no, that all he, he got was a cuddle. Exactly, that's my point. He needs he needs to kind of maybe, you know, or dive, maybe dive for a penalty in a really blatant way, just to restore. Oh, but you see, he's incapable of. Like, okay, let me just let me just paint the picture. So I was watching. I was watching him very closely. So you've got a rather surreal, very, very warm to, you know, every not, not one person was not amongst the Chelsea fans near the corner where he took his first corner kick, was not just absolutely beside themselves with love and applauding him. It was just, you just don't see that very often at the bridge for an opposition player who has nothing to do with the club. And then you have the goal he scored and you had Ericsson making a central run and it was like you could see you could see what was going to happen and uh, Kante ran towards the ball um, Marcus Alonso ran to ball, towards the ball Ziyech ran towards the ball L- literally leaving him on his own for a one-on-one with Mendy who was having a bad game and you just thought oh okay well we can we see what's going to happen now he's going to score and he scored it very beautifully sort of chipped it over Mendy as you say he stumbled as well went and celebrated with the fans and then immediately walked back to, to, to the penalty spot to check that because Mendy needed treatment after they'd collided it wasn't much of a collision it certainly was not a serious um, medical issue at all but, but Ericsson wandered back to the, to, to the penalty spot leant over checked check that Mendy was okay like like an angel would you it's see. all a bit much I'm well, and then, <laughs> stop and then, it and then, stop it and then you, you know it, it was like he, everything he did was just absolutely Perfect. And at the final whistle, he went to celebrate with the fans, took off his shirt to give to a supporter, made sure he hugged everybody, and was very gracious to the opposition. I mean, the and that on top of the fact that he did all sorts of things in the game. He did brave headers. He clever headers, chipped chipped passing, forty um, yard passing, clever boring passing to make because he knew the person next to him was probably better place and then he looked for it again he, he played deep he played midfield he played striker he went wide he, I mean he did he was the 
you know, I could see... I gave him a nine out of ten. I gave him a nine out of ten. I'm not sure how many nines out of ten I've given this season. That, is, that sounds like Alison was watching. Do you remember Player Cam on Sky? Yes, I was, I was yes. Player Cam. Hit the red button and you just had one player and nothing else on your screen. I'm going to go back through a match report now and check all the other facts. <laughs> when, <laughs> when Tony passed to Mbwemo, no, it wasn't, no, it wasn't really, that. It wasn't like that at all. Uh, Brentford, eleven points clear of the drop now. Tom, um, I, I'm, I'm taking Watford out of this. I think Burnley are the only team that can catch them mm. 10 games to do it in do you think Brentford are safe? I mean I, this is my one t- chance to restore any kind of reputation <laughs> with Brentford isn't it I back them to go down at several points this season yeah they're safe now definitely. yeah I think so um, one of my favourite moments of the weekend on social media Thiago Silva's wife with her Will Smith moment keep my husband's name out of your effing mouth on social media uh, she said Thiago Silva isn't a machine he's only human he of course travelled back having played uh, for Brazil during the international break which leads me to it led me to think did the international break really affect Chelsea here um, you don't think so by the look of it uh, I mean half of Brentford's team are on international duty I mean it, it affects every team and if the 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 fact is the bigger bigger of team you are the more likely you are to have players who are busy in the international break but he has such a huge he has such a huge squad too what mattered was he was he denied it but he must have been thinking about the game against Real Madrid on Wednesday night must have been and I think he probably although if he, if he took he shouldn't have taken Brentford lightly because um, Brentford should have won the game at the community stadium earlier in the season. It's just that Mendy had an absolute blinder that day and um, every Brentford fan the next morning woke up not realising they'd lost because it felt like a win. So I, d- I don't think he, t- he took necessarily took Brentford lightly. He didn't obviously didn't factor in the fairy tale, so more fool him. And I think he was thinking about um, he was thinking about Real Madrid definitely. This uh, Chelsea squad's going to have to cope with pressure because they do have Real Madrid. Arsenal look like they could be coming for them if they win their game in hand tonight against Palace. The gap for third place will only be two points. Of course, there's everything going on outside of the club, if you like, with the bidders and the takeover, etc. And maybe um, a not very clear future. Do you think this group are going to cope? I mean, they really should be able to, shouldn't they? I mean, the trophies that they've won, it was only six months ago we were lauding Tuchel as being a challenger to Klopp and Pep. Um and also, I'm not sure I buy into the idea that the off-the-field situation can affect the players and the, the, the manager too much. Now, now we've kind of got this list of bidders and it's becoming quite clear that Chelsea will be OK financially. You know, Tuchel can't be sat there going, oh gosh, I'm going to have to sell all my players. What the hell am I going to do? They're going to be absolutely fine in that respect. Um, it'll be different. There will be changes, obviously. So I don't I don't buy into that as an excuse. Um I just wonder whether they've kind of found themselves caught in this weird, we get to this stage in the season, you come back after the international break and you go, right, who's going for the title? Who's going for fourth? And you're like, what are we doing? We're kind of stuck in the stuck in the middle and with a very difficult Champions League match. So a lot will hinge on that, I think, definitely. Yeah, maybe they took Brentford a bit too lightly. They shouldn't have. Uh, as you pointed out a little bit earlier at Allison, big week for Chelsea ahead. Um, and speaking of the Champions League race, I guess Spurs in the hunt, very much so after their win this weekend. Five wins in the past six for them, a 5-1 victory over Newcastle. 14 points won from losing positions for them. That's the most in the league as well. Antonio Conte saying his side a few weeks ago would need a miracle if they were to finish in the top four. But now some people think 
think they're favourites to do so. Do you agree? Well, that's probably mathematically they're not favourites. No. You know, because of Arsenal. Arsenal have two games in hand. Mm. But it, oh, it's so difficult with Spurs to think that they've reached a turning point <laughs> because as soon as anyone says that, they'll, they lose 4-0. But it does look like... I'm loath to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. It does look like that Conte having a bit of a tantrum <laughs> and threatening to leave has somehow shaken everything up and the players have had to decide they're either going to complete... Because he's a tough manager to work for, so I think the players have just decided we don't want to annoy him. OK, we'll buy into it. They've certainly got... I mean, I, I haven't got any particular running stats in front of me but just looking at them they seem to be running harder tracking back faster chasing down pressing everything they're doing everything with more energy and they've got a bit of flair too they look like a team they, they're very cohesive compared to what they were not so long ago these are good things that shouldn't in the normal circumstances evaporate they should build on this they should, they should now have momentum they look very happy together. Um, I am absolutely, I'm absolutely gobsmacked by the transformation of Harry Kane, actually. I mean, it, a couple of years ago, I would have had him down as somebody who only cared about scoring, was only caring about the run that got him the goal, was necessarily, nice bloke, but necessarily selfish on the pitch because he wanted to be the top scorer. And he's just become almost an Ericsson-like figure in terms of his influence, in terms of passing and elegance and so on. And so they've they've got a lot of a lot of players who know their role and some players step away from them. I think Hoiberg, you know, sometimes he doesn't catch the eye, but he does, he does a really good job for the team. So they've got the ingredients there. Mathematically, maybe they're not favourites, but and they're Spurs, which makes them not favourites. But <laughs> but but if you take factor all that out, they they're looking good. They are looking good. Sir Alex Ferguson's joined the podcast. It's mm. Spurs, lads. I could have <laughs> What do you think about Tottenham Hotspur right now? Um, what what's changed really? Because you look at the team, you look at the way that he plays, and I think they're more aggressive. Yeah, that's the major thing for me. Actually, there are a lot of players in their team that actually you felt before you could you know you get some change out of them just by roughing them up a little bit and you think of Ben Davis and you think of Matt Doherty and Emerson Royale on the other side and all of yeah. a sudden they're they're the main fighters yeah. in the team um, does that all come from Conte? I think a little bit you know there's <laughs> The first thing to say is that obviously Bentancur and Kulaseski improved them immeasurably. Um, Kulaseski's got five assists since he joined. That's the most in the league. He's created 19 chances. That's as many as De Bruyne and Trent Alexander-Arnold. So, I mean, he's one of the best January signings in a long, long while. Um, every year when people like me ring up our writers and go, write a piece on the January window and how pointless it is, you live there, but they'll be like, ah, 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 Kulaseski. <laughs> Remember how good he was. Um so that that's the first thing to say, and he looks like he's just getting better and better all the time. Seems to have developed a really good relationship with Harry Kane. The, but the point you kind of allude to there is all Conte, those kind of wing backs that he seems to get out, get a lot out of in his career. You know, Victor Moses at Chelsea, Ashley Young he took to Inter Milan and then won a Serie A title after being at Man United for a long time, and now Mac Doherty is suddenly playing on the wrong side as a wing back 
getting forward, scoring goals. You know, Match of the Day 2 did a piece on their width um, and how effective that was. And that, Conte deserves huge credit for that, doesn't he? Because obviously, when we think about January, he wanted at least one wing back to be brought in and didn't didn't get him. So the fact that he's getting a lot out of those players, Emerson Royale written off, you know, probably still not going to be any kind of Tottenham legend. But in these games, he's getting a lot out of them. And as Alisson says, they're playing like a team. Those That goal, I think, was it Emerson Royale to Doherty or the other way around? I'm not quite sure. But again, those goals that don't even involve Harry Kane. <laughs> That's not allowed. Yeah. Never mind Harry Kane not scoring. He's not even involved. He's just stood there watching. Well played, lads. So I think that Conte deserves huge credit for that. But I think those two things can still be true. And Alisson's point about them still having a bit of the Spurs enus about them can still be true and I think if you look at maybe Arsenal and this is a very difficult thing to say when we're recording on a Monday and a lot of people might be listening on their commute on Tuesday when Crystal Palace has won 3-0 but I think Arsenal are a little bit further ahead down the road in terms of being a more complete package than Tottenham Something else that does cross my mind when it comes to Harry Kane before the end of the season is going to be conversation about his future. That might be a bit of a distraction. Um, do you think they need to finish in the Champions League to keep him? Or if they finish in the Champions League, will that make him want to stay? Well, it's now become the law that they have to finish in the Champions League places for him to stay. Even if he didn't mind, I think he'd feel he'd have to, he'd have to go. It's really strained. It's become... Even any people connected with Spurs are sort of, you know, part of the subtext is not just that everyone wants Champions League football, but they need Champions League football to keep Harry Kane. I think he'll probably, and seems like he's getting a lot out of working with Conte as a player. Obviously, his main goal is probably to go and win trophies. I, I could be completely wrong on this. And Hugh, I know you've talked about the City move still being on. It just felt like last summer was his the, the chance. And when it didn't happen he'll be at Tottenham now for the rest of his career because it's as well as it being about oh are Tottenham in the Champions League and is that enough to keep Harry Kane it's also about a club being willing to pay 100 million to sign him now one year on from from the last time there was I mean it wasn't a bidding war it was Manchester City or nothing and I I don't know are they going to come back for him I just don't know I think someone else will who who would who Manchester United they will they absolutely will. Um, Cavani's going to go. And then would you leave Tottenham to go well, to well, that, That's up to Harry Kane, but someone's going to pay the money. I think Man United would pay the money. I think they'd pay about 110, 120 million for him. But then if your choice would then be, even if it was then Pochettino at Manchester United and you'd be like, ah, oh, back with my old mate at a bigger, you know, bigger club in very much in inverted commas. Like, <sighs> There's nothing guaranteed. Yeah. No. It's not like going to Manchester City and being like, right, Tottenham legend, I'll always be that. I'll go and win the Premier League a couple of times and maybe the Champions League. You're just going for more money and a throw of the dice. Yeah, but I, you also go with more investment into the squad at Manchester United. How many just, players have done that in the just, last five and, years? And you just, hope, you just hope that the manager gets it right. The thing is, if you have a good manager and you spend at the level of Manchester City and you spend it well on good players, you are more likely. Mm. Obviously, Tottenham already have the top quality manager they just need the top quality squad and that's probably more unlikely. Mm. I feel we're going in circles here <laughs> because you said, you said, do Spurs have to get Champions League football for Harry Kane to stay? Manchester United are not going to get Champions yeah. League football. Yeah. So we are back. We are really back to what it was last summer 
that there is a if, if it's guaranteed trophies that Kane is is what would make Kane leave, you know his his boyhood club, then it would have to be a club that he can he can say to himself late at night in the dark hours, you know, I did I've I've left because they are in the Champions League and I want to be in the Champions League. So it it does probably boil down to whether City want him again and that they would but the interesting bit is City would then be bidding for a different player because he he has properly cemented this idea that he can drop deeper and deeper and create this wonderful understanding with people running off him that's okay they want a false nine at Manchester City they've they've played it pretty successfully he's just a better false nine than the others they've got because he can actually finish Mm -hmm. the chances that they give him he'll get into the six yard box as well he does suit Manchester City but I know that the level of spending is something that I I know it sounds weird because they've spent so much money but Pep Guardiola constantly spoke about we've never gone over 100 million Mm. would this club ever do that I'm not sure Mm. I mean he did say we didn't even need a striker and then they bid for Harry Kane so take Mm. everything he says with a pinch of salt but you think if Haaland's there for 63 million and he's obviously a lot younger that they might just take him. I just it just felt like I remember I was having this debate with Johnny Northcroft a few weeks, months ago, maybe around Christmas time, I think you when you asked your end of year type questions. And i just I just can't see it. I, it just felt like the moment and it felt like that the moment passed. Um and we should say as well, for all the Tottenham fans screaming at their phones right now, there's nothing wrong with him staying at Tottenham. No. Uh, particularly if Conte, the trophies. If Conte no, but if Conte stays and they sign Bentancourt and Kulusevski again in the summer in a wide position and in defence i.e. players they still won't win of quality they won't win the title no but Leap they might out. they might compete for trophies <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that yeah yeah but if you're Harry Kane do you not want to win a Premier League and a Champions League more so than it, listen winning a cup with Spurs is one thing you know it might be great because they haven't won a trophy for so long and the fans would love it but for his own career he's been a player of such mm. quality that I don't know if winning a League Cup and, and having the same medals is, is... But, like, also, we've talked about... Robbie Savage is going to be enough for him. <laughs> we've talked about the level of um, competitiveness. Good name plucked off the top of your head there. That was well played. Um, there's every chance he could go to City and have, what, you know, a couple of seasons and then Pep might leave. Liverpool will get even That's better. Fine. How many trophies do you think you win in the next two seasons at Man City? Don't know. Five, six? Could be one or two, though. Mm, unlikely. Unlikely, certainly more likely at City than Tottenham. I'm just putting the case that with Tottenham on the way, you know, on the path that they are on, if Conte stays, there's no bad thing in him. But this is my point. It's not about Conte staying. It's about the investment in the team, for me. Yeah, and I, but I and think that's the January the, that's the bigger if than Conte staying. They need to invest. And with all due respect to Kulusevski and Bentenker, they're good players. Harry Kane's a great player, mm. and they need more great players if they're going to definitely win trophies. We're going to see. We're going to see. More still to come on the Game Podcast. Remember, if you're enjoying it, like us, leave us a review, and make sure you're subscribed. Let's head down towards the bottom of the table next on the Game Podcast. Everton had a man sent off for a third straight game as they lost 2-1 at West Ham. They were in the game for large parts, you've got to say, but I think they failed in the key moments, as they often do. Afterwards, Frank Lampard called on his players to show more quality, but again questioned his players' cojones. He said, I am less worried about the personnel and more worried about the character of the group. What I saw today showed that. 
So how much longer will Lampard get away with doing this to his squad of players? What do you think, Alison? Oh, I, I do not. Honestly, he needs to go to an open university course on sports psychology because he's, he's getting the wrong tone every time. He's new to Everton. He has no history with the club. He's he's come in because I assume he thinks, imagine how it'd be the Messiah who takes over from an unpopular manager in Rafa Benitez, steers the club up the table as a reward, gets a bumper contract, money to spend, and, and eventually a new stadium. I mean, I can see I can see him sitting in his plush armchair, dreaming the dream of that, um, and yet he's. He's arrived and the new manager bounce has been weak and the sort of tsunami of problems is too great for the new manager bounce there, I think. And so he's he's a he sort of wobbled slightly and thought, Oh my goodness, this is this is this is tricky. But he's one of those managers that likes to be um erudite in front of the, the microphone and give some insight and he's probably being honest maybe but to, to to let his players know that he's telling the world that he he's worried about them as a group you know their their bravery their psychology their attitude their ability to um, control games he's, he's doubting all elements of what makes a footballer I don't I don't that, that to me is poor leadership when you're in a strange place where you're hovering you're hovering above relegation but it's still you still have control of your own destiny you still have more games to play than the teams you're effectively up against so I, I, I think he needs to change tack completely a lot of people have said oh, actually you know they weren't that bad against West Ham there, there was some improvements over the disastrous FA Cup result against Crystal Palace and I think that's broadly true except West Ham haven't really well haven't put together a sustained run of form for quite a while and they're often underperforming and this was one of those games where West Ham again fell a little flat if you're gonna you know you've got to take advantage of those moments and Everton don't have don't, don't have a killer instinct don't have a ruthlessness don't have an ability to get to grips with what's in front of them there's a nervousness there and and if there's a nervousness now that isn't just from the predicament they're in in the league table it's because they've got a manager who hasn't given them faith in themselves so i'm i i find it odd the way it's unfolding everton maybe maybe lampard's thinking if you throw enough sound bites into the ether then one of them will stick and it'll be enough to make them go oh right we can do this doesn't doesn't feel like um top class management speaks so far watching Everton you still don't and I'll go back to it you still don't get the sense that they understand how much trouble they are in <laughs> like you see Alex Awobi trying to thread passes through the midfield and some of the decisions that the defence are making and everyone thinks they're a good player and clearly in his comments Frank Lampard saying you know there is quality in this squad he's obviously giving them the message that they are better footballers than they are showing mm. I just think that's the wrong, wrong way to go about it actually mm. um, in a way he should remove 
their personalities from the situation altogether mm. and just be like, look, okay, every single game's a cup final. We need to throw the kitchen sink at trying to get points. Um, and if that means go direct to Calvert-Lewin and completely miss out your midfield, which, by the way, isn't very mm. good, it's probably a better idea. Yeah, and it's not a great sign for Lampard that Alisson... Um, is picking out his uh, PR, if you like, and as a as a bad point because that was one of his great selling points um, during his time at Chelsea. He came in when there was the um, signing ban, young players galvanised them in that way, club legend. But the fact that he's not he's not doing that with this group of players because the point is you're saying that they think they're better than they are. This is this is a talented squad of players. It will be a hell of an achievement if they get relegated. I mean that is truly extraordinary. If this, this, do you not think? I mean, come on, when they, what they're up against? Yeah, I mean they are a better squad, if you like, than the other teams involved in the relegation conversation. But I don't think they're great. Well, yeah, to be they're, honest, they're not great. I, they've got some good, very good players. I think Richarlison and Calvert Lewin. Yeah. I think Jordan Pickford's a good player. But there's a long list of players that aren't very good. No, but if you think about them in comparison to Brentford, say, who we were talking about before... Well, they're they, better. They, Brentford are better, yes, now. Mm. But Everton should be better than Brentford, really, in terms of the players that they've got. Mm. The talent they've got in that squad. Mm. But <laughs> I, I think it's an interesting point as well that Tom Roddy makes in his report. He uses the phrase, the self-destruct button. And that is kind of what seems to be happening. And again, that doesn't chime very well with Lampard saying these kind of comments because it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy almost of oh no I'm not sure they've they're not sure they've got the right character and then you see Michael Keane lunging into that challenge which just screamed give me that second yellow card come on just I just want to get out of here I want the ground to swallow me up I don't want to be here and also I was looking at the stats before they're top for errors leading to goals they've got eight this season Alex Awobi guilty of another one for the winner against West Ham it is that kind of feeling of it's all coming together in a pretty disastrous way for Everton and in lots of respects that was why the Lampard appointment was such a strange one because you kind of felt it felt like a deliberate lurch from Benitez because he'd become unpopular whereas actually Benitez that type of manager is perhaps what they needed I mean does anyone think they would be in the position they're in now if Benitez had stayed Quite possibly. I mean, there is a reason that Rafa Benitez got, got sacked. Yeah. Um, they obviously weren't flying. Um, it's, diff it's difficult to judge. I don't think they would be much better. I don't think they definitely, I don't think they'd be any worse. Mm. Um, but they'd, they'd still be bottom half, 15th, you know, a couple of places higher maybe if, if Rafa was but there. But there's a big difference between bottom half, 15th. We wouldn't be having this conversation if that's where they were. Mm. They're now going into this game with Burnley and they're in a serious, seriously bad state, aren't they? But think about it. What's that? I mean, what's the hardest thing to hear in any job, whoever you are, to be told it's not about the technical stuff you do. You know, it's not Hugh about the way you link from one item to the next. <laughs> or you can, you can, you can change that, can't you? You can, you can do some homework on that. But to be told that you as a person. Are the wrong have the wrong personality? I mean, yeah. Given my you actual actual anything. job, that is something that you would be told. So <laughs> no, <but laughs> maybe you... in most jobs you wouldn't be told that your personality doesn't fit. But but doing what I do, you you would. Well, but I know. Ruined my point, haven't you? But, <laughs> but I know what you mean. <laughs> they're not. It's the hard. Well, okay, it's the hardest thing to change. And if you didn't have the right personality, who you wouldn't be doing front of show stuff that you do, you'd be 
mixing tapes in the back room in a dark, <laughs> dark cave somewhere. You want to be in the limelight. These these are players who've come through their various academies, got agents, feel they're in the you know hopefully they feel they're in the right club, and yet they're being told no, you're not you're not the right fit for this grand cl- grand club with a grand history. You're not you haven't got the the bottle or the whatever other phrases he's used to to describe them as just lacking it. But this, that's the hardest thing to change. You know, if you're a shy person, to be told you're shy, go on then, don't be shy anymore. That's the, that's the hardest thing to change mm. is who you are. Um, and also being told a negative. You know, when, you, you know, when you're bringing up kids, you're, you shouldn't tell them they're doing something wrong. Praise the things they do right. You should be praising all the stuff that's good and keeping everything that he doesn't approve of to himself or telling them in a more constructive way. It's no good telling anybody in any field you haven't got what it takes. I doubt you've got the, what it takes. That's not helpful. Yeah. It just makes you think, I'm not good enough. It's very much the final conversation, if you ever do have that conversation. No one really tells you you're not good enough and then says, anyway, we've got you know another eight weeks together. Yeah. You know, Do the best job you possibly can and save this company. Yeah, it's a pretty bad conversation. I know what you're saying. It's... Um- it's interesting that we're talking about Lampard's comments on the same day that Ralph Ranick has made some fairly pointed comments about Manchester United and their players because I feel like Everton are the bottom half version of Manchester United. You know, they've got the kind of big club aura, spent a lot of money, changed lots of managers and they've kind of stumbled to this point now where they need a complete revamp. The only trouble is that they could also be relegated as well. I don't know whether... Am I, trying, am I even going to say it? Would relegation be a good thing for Everton? No, <laughs> but 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 uh, in a football perspective, That's fair enough. No, in a football perspective, it could definitely help them. Definitely, in a football perspective, their financial situation means mm. that relegation would be a complete disaster. You Absolutely, might, yeah. might be looking at Leeds United, League One. You know, definitely that could happen to them if they go down. But mm. you need cojones in the Championship, and if you haven't got them, you're never going to get out of it. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. They haven't got them. You're right. They'd probably go down if they they went down again because it would just be such a disaster. Mm. It would be such a disaster. The big game against Burnley up next. Uh, Burnley beaten by Manchester City at the weekend, two goals to nil. I don't know whether that's good or bad preparation for a game of this magnitude. Burnley obviously have to win it. Mm. If Everton can win, it's at Turf Moor. Do you think they'll be safe? Mm, yes, just because I think that will ultimately put Burnley in a terrible position and I think then Everton will be safe by default almost but I, yeah I, I could see it being a draw almost okay I could see. hang on this is this conversation's gone weird what what if you could step in as a manager and a brand new club but they've allowed to only have a few games left of the season and you could take the Watford squad mm. or the Everton squad which would you take I'd still take the Everton squad would you yeah I still th- I think we're being incredibly harsh to the Everton squad, which is reflective of also those players not performing. But I think that as a squad of players, of talented international players... Yeah, but I'm including in the word squad how they play. Yeah. But that would be your then... What, your... Watford are a better unit as a football team. They are, Everton, and absolutely and under Roy could, Hodgson. They could replace Everton. They, they could, yes. I, I, yeah. I, I just think... I said a few weeks ago that I thought Everton under Lampard would kind of bumble along and lose three and then pick up random wins and points 
to just be enough and I think that against Burnley that will be one of those games where they will get a late deflected goal of some kind it won't be great it won't be pretty there's all the problems that they've we've discussed will still be evident against Burnley but they would just about get enough Everton have one of the worst run-ins of any club in the Premier League this is why the game against Burnley is so important I mean they play Manchester United at home next weekend so that's probably going to be an easy three points <laughs> um, but then it's Leicester Liverpool Chelsea Leicester again Brentford and then Arsenal on the final day of the season Yeah, you are not looking at a lot of opportunities for Everton to take three points in that run in no but I almost think in a weird way I think they've got Palace as well that's been postponed I don't know when it will be rearranged yeah. for yeah. but in a strange way the, the best I've seen Everton play under Lampard was against Manchester City where they should have got a point at home that was the most and things that Lampard has been criticised for defensive tactics shape as a team and playing as a unit that you've just quite rightly said that classic Roy Hodgson has done to Watford that's what they look like against Manchester City I think playing in those big games against where, where we're all going God, they're going to get thumped might weirdly help them and married in with the kind of slightly strange man management style that's going on at the minute with Lampard might help the players just take the pressure off and again we might see them pick up a random win against a team we weren't expecting them to perform against mm. Uh, do you think they're going down? No, obviously. No, I think Everton will just about survive. Alison well, said I'm they were going down with, weeks ago. Yeah, so I'm sticking with my pessimistic... Who else outlook. is going down, though? Because as much as we've quite rightly praised you for correctly predicting Brentford and correctly predicting Everton's demise, you did say that Leeds would go down with them. Yes, well, that's before they had a new manager. So yes, that's that fair. Was, that was on that's, Bielsa. That's, that's, I mean, I'm, they, not, I'm not picking a fight. Complete I'm just saying that <laughs> some got to have some flaws. Um, <laughs> but you, you, do you think Watford more than Burnley have the chance? Currently, yes. Yeah. I've always, I've always thought Burnley because they are used to this being written off mm. and are quite good at responding to being written off, but they don't seem to quite be able to respond this time. So yeah. I, I am. I am sort of giving up on Burnley except that if Burnley were to beat Everton and then suddenly it, yeah. it, it's, it is a huge game because of what it means afterwards yeah if, if Burnley beat Everton same games played Everton are only a point ahead of them mm. so it's a huge game it's a huge game and we're then you think oh, who's best equipped to deal with that Sean Dyche Right, we're going to find out on Thursday exactly how that game goes. We'll, we'll be talking about it on the next episode of the game, of course. And we'll be talking women's football, loads going on in the women's game up next. We will also look at this weekend's Old Firm before the World Cup draw. Stay with us on the game. Up next on the game, we've got to get an update on what has been happening in women's football over the past ah, 10 days or so since we last spoke to Molly Hudson from The Times, who joins us now. Hi, Molly. Hi, Hugh. We've got to talk about the Champions League. I know you went out to Germany. Arsenal out at the hands of Wolfsburg. That ends British hopes at the quarterfinal stage. There is something to be said, I guess a wider comment on the performance of English clubs in this year's Champions League, but on Arsenal, how proud can they be in their showing in the competition this term? I think uh, for Arsenal uh, particularly, I think it was it was a strange sort of competition really because they joined kind of in the in the very first qualifying round in pre-season. So it feels like they've been in the Champions League for a, for a kind of awful long time and gone through a lot a lot of games to kind of get to this point. And I think uh, you know there's no shame in going out to Wolfsburg because 
they are a very, very good team. And I think, you know, God, they showed that at the weekend by beating Bayern Munich 6-0 in the league. Um, but I think I think what will be frustrating for Arsenal, for the fans and even for us that kind of watched the first leg is that there was sort of real hope after that first leg because Lotta Moy got the late equaliser. It was 1-1. It felt as though, do you know what? Arsenal can do this. And then uh, the, the second leg that I went out to Germany for, I can't say from kind of the first whistle at any point, I sort of thought that Arsenal were going to win the game. They just... <laughs> It just they just really didn't play very well. Um, there were caveats to that that they were missing Beth Mead and Leah Volti, who were two of their most important players. One was suspended and, and one was ill, which was really unfortunate. But I think kind of not to rumble on too much, but I suppose the it, it sort of connected to your to your earlier point about British teams generally. I think there's maybe a bit of a frustration that actually if you look at the Arsenal squad player for player player and compare it to Wolfsburg you know, Arsenal should have maybe won that game or at the very least been a lot closer to winning the tie overall in terms of their performance. And I think that's something that's, I suppose, a bit of a problem for the English teams generally that, you know, Manchester City lost in the in the qualifying rounds to Real Madrid. Um, they had a few injuries at the time and it, it was a bit of a mess. And I suppose the timing of the, the fixture didn't help them. But again, like you would expect Manchester City as an experienced European side to win that. Um, and then Chelsea's exit to Wolfsburg again kind of coincided with with some COVID issues they had. So I think it's been a it's been a bit of a mix of kind of disappointment, of bad timing, but also I think maybe the managers might look back at those ties and just think, is there a way we could have adapted quicker? And particularly Arsenal, uh, we asked um, Yoda Seidevel, the manager, after the game, what was it that our English teams are struggling with so much? And he talked about this kind of woman marking system that a lot of teams in Europe have. And he said that Arsenal struggled against Hoffenheim, they struggled against Barcelona, and then they struggled against Wolfsburg. Now, if you're struggling against the same thing you know over the course of three four five matches then surely you have to find a way to kind of you know outthink that find find a kind of solution to that problem and I think that that's what they have to do quicker if they are going to progress you know in next season's competition yeah I tend to agree with you on that one um away from Europe domestically we can say Liverpool are back. Promotion to the WSL was sealed this weekend. They have been in the past one of the big, big teams in the WSL. Do you think they have the, the capabilities of returning to that level and disrupting the best in the women's game? I think it will take. Uh, I think it will take a little while, but I think what it is fair to say is that in Matt Beard, the manager, they they have someone that's experienced enough to know that. You know, they they won the Women's Super League or um, with Matt Beard and he is also the manager that has has come in and kind of rebuilt them after several years of kind of flux and and various sort of controversies around, you know, funding and the financial support for the team, just the general sort of organisation because I think at times it's fair to say that the financial support was there, it just maybe wasn't being used quite correctly and and Matt Beard has come in and and, um, really got that organisation, you know, sorted and I think that that will be what's important, that they won't try and just immediately compete with, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City. What we've seen from, you know, a team like Manchester United is that it will take time. It will take consistency. It will take time to build that squad. 
And I think what we've seen in the past is that even if you're a professional team in the championship, as Liverpool are, that jump to the Women's Super League, that consistent challenge that you're facing week in and week out is difficult to adapt to. And I think, you know, in that in that first season back next season, they'll just be happy to kind of, if they can be, you know, mid-table, low to mid-table, I think they'll take that. And then once they've done that, they can then build. I think what we've seen is that it's a lot harder to get rid of a huge, huge amount of players and then immediately be able to gel. Um, so I think they'll try and take it as more of a project. And I think Matt Beard has talked about a kind of five-year project to be up and challenging. Um, so I think that's more the kind of time scale that they'll aim for. Just finally, Molly, um, since the last time we spoke, we passed the 100 days to go mark until the Women's Euros, which is being hosted here this year. And we had some great news in terms of ticket sales, unbelievably exceeding the last Women's European Championships in the Netherlands in 2017. That's great news. Yeah, it's fantastic, and I think actually I was um, I was down at Carnaby Street um, on the 100 yet days to go, and they've got this huge installation of these like five um, almost like table football figurines um, up in Carnaby Street, and just to see the interest and everything was amazing, and I think that that's what's what's so important that everyone is kind of aware of this tournament, and I think that's where we maybe struggle a little bit with attendances and things on a kind of week-to-week basis, the real promotion and marketing. Whereas I think when you have a tournament, you have so much longer to build it up. And I think that's what we're already seeing the benefits of, that so many people are aware of this tournament, so many people want to get involved, want to see the games. Um, Obviously, it's, you know, it's pretty cheap compared to going to watch men's football. So I think, yeah, it's been really positive to see those early ticket sales and how many, you know, England games, most of them are are already sold out. And I think that's, you know, that's exactly what we need for these players. And now we just have to hope that they can kind of live up to to that expectation, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, Look, www dot uefa.com uh, or just google buy women's euros tickets that might help you as well uh, if you want to make sure you're inside one of the games should be a fantastic competition this summer uh, molly hudson thank you very much for that quick update on everything we'll speak to you very soon on the game podcast appreciate it thank you The Old Firm took place in the Scottish Premiership this weekend. Always a huge fixture, of course, in British football. And it was Celtic who won the game 2-1 to move six points clear of Rangers with six games to play. It's a big end to the season, I think, from here on out. Of course, whoever wins the Scottish Premiership automatically going into the group stage of the Champions League next year. It was all to play for. Our Scottish football correspondent, Michael Grant, was there. Michael, is this the title all wrapped up for Ange Post? Side. I would say it's it's pretty close to that, uh, Hugh. The um, lead is now six points. It's effectively seven, actually, because they've got a goal difference, which is superior to Rangers by 15. So, I mean, effectively, that's seven points with half a dozen games left. One of those games is, is an old firm game at Parkhead, which you would have Celtic as favourites for. To be honest, I, I think the lead is more likely to grow rather than be clawed back by Rangers. Um, and and that'll, that'll complete an incredible turnaround, really, by Celtic and by Ange Postecoglou in, in, in his first season at the club. Yeah, we'll come to Rangers in a bit, but on that rebuild, you're right, it has been rather amazing. Can you put your finger on some of the key changes that have, have led to the gap 
Recruitment, to be honest with you, the, the recruitment has been uh, remarkably successful by um, Postacoglu and Celtic. And in the uh, two transfer windows that he's had, um, I think so, off the top of my head, the team yesterday had something like eight eight players who had come in, eight or nine even, who'd come in this season. So, to, you know, to, to be able to get that hit rate of successes from the market has been astonishing, really. And um, not nobody has really cost them a fortune. I mean, Kyogo Furuhashi, arguably their best player in the season, hasn't played since Boxing Day with, with an injury. He's, he's close to coming back. They kind of... They teased their fans with the idea that he'd come back yesterday, but he wasn't even on the bench. But he cost four and a half million. And and beyond that, they haven't really spent big transfer fees to get players and a couple of loans. Um, so I think that's the, the, the key, Hugh. But also, Postacoglu himself has been very impressive. You know, he's come in, he's handled the scale of the club, he's handled the scale of the challenge. He, um, he, he is one-dimensional. I don't think he would even see that as a criticism. His principle is attacking football. You know, we, we go full throttle. We don't let up. And that's pretty much the way that they have, um, uh, the way they have dominated the, the domestic season so far. What about Rangers then? Celtic doing brilliantly. I think they will, as you mentioned, lift the title this season. Um, of course, they lost Steven Gerrard uh, midway through the campaign or into the campaign. And Giovanni Van Bronckhorst has taken over. Are, are there big issues for him about his coaching? What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in in the Glasgow rivalry, you know, you're either a messiah or you're you're a dud, really. And um, it can veer back and forth. I mean, when when they lost the last Old Firm game 3-0 at Parkhead, Van Bronckhorst was being very heavily criticised for being too passive, for not having any any real response to, to losing three goals in the first half. But, of course, then Rangers are still in the Europa League and they're still de- delivering remarkable results. To put out Borussia Dortmund over two games was still, I think, the result of the season by a Scottish club. They then beat Red Star Belgrade. They play Braga this week. But the narrative, of course, is set by old firm results. And uh, again, yesterday, I, there was no shortage of effort from Rangers. I thought that you could see their desperation to claw it back. But um, they miss Alfredo Morelos, who could be missing for a number of weeks now. And they haven't really got the depth of squad. They haven't signed nearly as well as as Celtic have in the last uh, few windows. And I think, Hugh, there is a real prospect of the season just kind of crumbling and, and turning to ashes for them because they play another old firm game a week on Sunday in the Scottish Cup semi-final. So if they lose that, then realistically, they're not going to win a domestic trophy. And for all their heroics in the Europa League, they're still going to have to get past Braga, which they might do, mm. and then either Leipzig or uh, Atalanta in the semi-finals, which looks a hard, hard task, mm. and then potentially, potentially a kind of rejuvenated Barcelona in the final. So you know there is the prospect of them ending with nothing from a season that's that's carried a lot of promise for them. Uh, we shall see with Rangers. We shall see. One final point though to discuss uh, from the old firm, Michael. Police Scotland say they are investigating after a glass bottle was thrown from the stands into the Celtic penalty box. The second half delayed as the ground uh, staff removed bits of glass from the pitch after Celtic's keeper Joe Hart had alerted the referee. Police say inquiries are ongoing to establish the full circumstances as we speak. This is 
early on Monday morning. Um, Celtic did say that a staff member whose name was not disclosed required urgent medical treatment and stitches to a head wound as well. Um, that took place as players, officials and staff made their way up the tunnel at half-time. These are the types of stories that we just don't need after an old firm. No, we don't. I mean, missile throwing, whether it's coins or, you know, plastic uh, bottles and so on, sadly, relatively uh, familiar. And we saw some of that again yesterday. Uh, glass bottles is is, is less common. Uh, and, you know, when you when you cover the old firm and, you, and you've been doing it for, for years and years, you, you do get a little bit numb to, to all the kind of... Um, stuff that goes on there's always incidents around the edges of old firm games but I think just seeing it actually last night on, on Sky Sports News once I'd come back from the game and kind of you know that had a bit of distance from it and you just you realise just how genuinely shocking it is to see ground staff cut, removing broken glass from the from the goal mouth that, the, that Joe Hart was in and you think the mindset of a fan who would throw a bottle onto the pitch I mean, you know, the risk of injuring one of his own players um, is is equal to injuring somebody from Celtic. We don't know whether it was it was broken glass that was thrown on, or whether a bottle was was thrown and, and, and shattered, maybe off the post or the bar. Or I, I can't believe it would have broken by landing on grass. Mm. But um, the end result was the same, Hugh. And it looks awful, and it, it sends all sorts of uh, terrible messages out about the, the the kind of level of crowd behaviour that you get at. Uh, old firm games I'm afraid yeah sad sad once again but glad no one was massively hurt hopefully that Celtic member of staff is okay after those uh, stitches to their head wound Michael Grant thank you for joining us on the game podcast with that update after uh, another I guess thrilling old firm in many ways despite that negativity thank you so much no problem Hugh. thanks a lot World Cup draw was made in Qatar on Friday. The good news is we can all watch the World Cup without pinning massive expectations on the England team, complaining about team selection or burning any shirts, Okay. The bad news, obviously, is that football is not coming home in 2022 because the draw has been made and it's not great for England. I'll talk about that in more detail, but I did want to say from a professional point of view, it is getting harder to avoid the sports washing aspect of this World Cup in Qatar. But our journalists are doing an excellent job of keeping it on the agenda, helped by the Norway FA president, Lise Claveness at the FIFA Congress. She said in 2010, World Cups were awarded by FIFA in unacceptable ways with unacceptable consequences. Human rights, equality, democracy, the core interests of football were not in the start 11 until many years later. These basic rights were pressured onto the field as substitutes by outside voices. FIFA has addressed these, but there's still a long way to go. So I think that conversation will keep going. In the meantime, we're going to look at the draw and try and plot England's route to the final. England were drawn in Group B alongside Iran, the United States and one of Wales, Scotland or Ukraine. So it does set up the possibility of a first ever all-British World Cup match. Yeah, that is cool. I think once you put the professional aspect aside and that's obviously one of the things I always think about when these draws are made. I don't necessarily think like an England fan straight away. I think how interesting is that? What kind of tales can we tell around those games? That is very cool. I don't... Lots of people, and I was having this debate with a lot of my friends after the draw was made, were talking about it being in... Well, they didn't use the word easy, but it being one of the better draws England could have got. I'm not necessarily sure that's true. I think USA 
are a young team with a lot of talented players. We had a piece on one of their strikers, Ricardo Pepe, um, a few weeks ago. 19, incredibly talented player. They will surprise a few people, I think, with how they play. And I also think whether it's Scotland, Wales or Ukraine, that will be a difficult match for England. I also have the slight view that for a long time, as England fans and as journalists following the England team, we've gone into these tournaments with pretty low expectations and as you say Hugh lots of arguments over starting starting lineups and things but having got to a final with the squad that we've got shouldn't we be kind of looking at this tournament and thinking semi-finals absolute minimum requirement you're winding me up aren't you no you're deliberately trying to wind me up I'm actually not but it's nice to know that I am given how many times (laughs) you do it to me but no that's actually not what I'm doing no because those of you that have heard me on the radio over the past week after this this draw and, and in the build-up to the draw, we'll know that I think it's absolutely ridiculous to say semi-finals minimum I'm not, for England. Don't, let me finish. Let me just finish before you get wound up then. What I was saying was that I was thinking that before the draw was made, i.e. irrespective of who we, who we got in the draw. So I, I was actually hoping for a more on-paper difficult draw because I think it will do England good to play tougher opposition earlier in, on in the tournament because I'm not sure playing against teams that are going to allow us to have a lot of the ball and maybe defend quite a lot will prepare us that well for the knockout stages. So what I was going to say was with my friends who were saying, what a great draw, this isn't this great. I was saying, "Mm, I think I would have preferred as a fan for England to have got a tougher group stage draw because I think that would help them in that overall achievement of aiming for semi-final minimum. Still annoyed? Yeah. Okay. Because do you think semi-final minimum is... is the, the bar for England having reached par for the course that's have, what I call the absolute minimum par, have, par having for reached last four having reached the final of a major tournament only recently Euros with, this, with this, oh, Just, right, oh the Euros oh yeah without Brazil without no Argentina big no big deal not as big a deal as the World Cup it's not a big a deal as the World Cup which is why I've knocked it down a stage to the semi-finals <laughs> come on that's how it works right that's maths um, <laughs> I, I think this is the thing I think we put too much we're going to be putting too much pressure on England a lot but of it's people, not pressure I, come on look at no, that no, no, look no, at okay, that squad okay look okay Okay, let me rephrase it. I think we are getting our hopes up if we are saying that this England squad is a semi-final minimum team. If they reach the semi-finals and they're good enough to, that's absolutely fantastic. If they get to the final, incredible. uh, Game changer. But ultimately, this squad, par for the course, minimum, anything less than quarterfinals is a failure. If you're going to tell me anything less than semi-finals is a failure, I think we're we're over. We we obviously think this England team's better than it is. Actually, fair enough. Um, especially when you look at the draw, and that's the other thing. You know, okay. I think we need to change the expectations now because if England do go through into the second round, um, they'll face one of the teams from Group A, most likely Senegal or Ecuador. More unlikely, it could be the Netherlands or Qatar. But then, if the top seeds go to plan elsewhere, it's France or Argentina, maybe Denmark in the quarterfinals. If they do get to the semis, which I'll remind you would be incredible, it could be Belgium or Portugal, maybe Spain or Germany. The final could be Brazil. So football's not coming home in 2022. I honestly think all those teams would look at the idea of playing a forward line of Harry Kane, Phil Foden, Raheem Sterling, and any of Saka, right. Mount, etc., and go, I don't fancy that no. very much. But they would look at the defensive line and fancy it a little bit. It's fine. Harry Harry Maguire is going to be resurgent. <laughs> Harry Kane it. might as well play in centre back. Stick him there. He keeps dropping so much <laughs> deeper. Why not? And that's the thing. I just think the country will put too much expectation. Like if we walk away, we get to the quarterfinals, and all the back pages the next day are going to say what? 
failures. We're going to we're gonna boo them when they get off the plane, are we? I think that's ridiculous. Top of the Times website like, would be this, useless. No, this is <laughs> this is a quarterfinal team. They should definitely reach the quarterfinals. Definitely. Then it's France or Argentina. Even if it wasn't going to be France or Argentina, all the teams in the last day of the World Cup are pretty good. You know, you've made it to the last day of the World Cup. So the idea that England would then just sweep aside the next team and just waltz into the last four. Didn't say waltz. They're, they're not that, that. No, you said absolute minimum. Yeah. Minimum I, is the absolute I think minimum. That's what they so, should be aiming for. So if they yeah. get knocked out in the quarterfinals. I think they should be disappointed. Yeah. They, they, yeah well, they'll, you'll be disappointed if you get knocked out in any round. But let's be honest. I think they'll. Is it a failure? I think it'll be not reaching their full potential, yeah, if they go out in the quarterfinals. Right. So par for the course is semis. I think that's harsh. I think that's over the top. Personally, I really got you with this, haven't I? No, I, listen, everyone has because I've been hammered left, right, and centre for saying that not that I think they can reach the final. I think they can win the World Cup. But I think if they get knocked out in the quarterfinals, I'm not going to sit there and hammer them for that. No, and I won't. I don't think they're an incredible side. England are not an incredible team. They don't create clear goal scoring opportunities against the best sides. They don't dominate the ball against the best sides. The best sides are usually better than England whenever we play them. And everyone's referring to the, the fact that we... The best sides yes. are greater than the sum of their parts and England are never greater than the sum of their parts. And you mentioned reaching the final of the Euros, Tom, but that was for England. It was a home Euros. And it was hugely disappointing. They they were very lucky to get past Denmark, the penalty that should never have been a penalty. Are you and, a fan of Christine Eriksen? Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> sounded just like Thomas Tuchel. And... I, I, and then when you get to the final at Wembley, really, really, come on. I mean, it's almost like Southgate went out, out of his way to make sure that that final Oh, was come not on. Won. We're being a bit retrospective no, here, no, aren't not we, at with all. our memory? Not they at played all. really not well at, at points during the Euros. They beat Germany pretty comfortably. Germany were not good either. Ah, we made them not look very good. So, so this- now they're not on home soil. They're going to a very peculiar part of the world, which <laughs> arguably they shouldn't be going, no one should be going to. And I think that equalises a lot of the advantages they had at the Euros. The the day I back England and think they're going to have a semi-final minimum spot is when I think they are playing greater than the sum of their parts, which is why a small a smaller country will always give them problems, such as Iceland did. And if it's Ukraine that gets through, I mean, for goodness sake, the world will be wanting Ukraine to win, and I don't think England will cope very well with that. Scotland will play better than some of their parts, probably. The world wanted Denmark to win as well when we played them in the Euros. The referee didn't, though, did he? Oh, honestly. Look, it's come back to this same time. We're not such a long way off the World Cup and I'm already trotting out my catchphrase in Gareth, I trust. I should say, the draw was sensational for many, many reasons. I know you're all big Jermaine Genus fans looking at social media during the draw. (laughs) Um, But I should say, our producer, John Jackson, our own JJ, if you like, was also involved in the draw. Have a listen to this. Okay, you ready? Let's go. 32 nations are aiming for glory in Qatar at the FIFA World Cup 2022. For the draw, they're divided into four pots, each containing eight teams. Who was that? Hugh. <laughs> that was our producer John Jackson who joins us live on the game podcast. <laughs> live from the adjacent room. Wow, that voice. Incredible. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks very much. Uh, what's it like uh, being involved in something as big as that? Well, I didn't know it was that. 
the story is my representatives contacted me and said, we've got a voiceover for you, which is quite normal when you're a voiceover artist. And I said, what's it for? They said, it's for the World Cup. And I assumed, okay, it'll be for a sponsor of the World Cup. You know, it'll be one of the sponsors from maybe the UK or another English-speaking nation. And I'll probably be voicing something for their World Cup campaign selling their products. And then they said, and this is where I should have twigged, they said, uh, well, it's, it, the license for it is to be played once and once only. And I thought that's a, a very strange marketing campaign for a company to only play your advert once. And then obviously during the World Cup ceremony, it turns out it's actually for the World Cup and they played it. But I did find out before I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement to say that I wouldn't tell anyone that I was the voice of that two minute explainer at the World Cup. I was about to ask you all the other questions about the draw that you can probably now not answer because you've signed that non-disclosure. The non-disclosure was that I wasn't allowed to announce uh, to anyone that Idris Elba and Reshman Chowdhury were the hosts. Yeah. Because everything else was common knowledge, wasn't it? What, what happened to Idris? I don't know what happened Idris to Idris. Elba, well, we got, he was there. We got Jermaine Genus, though. We got for the actual draw. I know. Come on. Controversial. Yeah. But, John, how um, how often do you do these voiceover things? Are you, a, are you a superstar voiceover? Have we heard you many other times? I was once the voice of a train company. I've been the voice of, uh, I think, Tiger Nuts, I believe they were called. They were a very short, uh, short-selling thing from Walkers back in the day. I was a tiger. Uh, not to be confused with Tony the Tiger, the most famous cartoon tiger that sells a food product. And what else did I do? Oh, I've done loads of things. And let's be honest, long-term listeners will know John's voice from voicing many of the ads yeah. therein. Yes, I also, I also did the adverts that pay your wages, yes. Yes, so thank you very much for that, John. Appreciate you joining us on the game and, and giving us that explainer of exactly how the World Cup draw works. Uh, Tom, Alison, do you think you could do it? Absolutely not, no. I've actually watched John do a voiceover when we were kind of discussing the show the game show and then um, talking about oh, who should be on next time and we're just chatting away and then john went oh hang on a minute i've got to do this thing for hi you're listening to john jackson da, 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 da. and i was like who the hell is this guy next to me he just transformed into mm. a completely different being it was remarkable i wouldn't be able to do it because i wouldn't be i couldn't be well behaved i'd want to throw in a joke <laughs> ladies and gentlemen Take your seats. Remove the toilet paper from the sole of your shoes. <laughs> uh, I yes. won't be able to help it. Listen, thank you so much for being with us. John Jackson, Tom Clark and Alison Rudd for the past hour or so. Uh, Molly Hudson and Michael Grant as well. And to all of you for listening, we will be back on Thursday looking at some great games coming up in the Champions League. Chelsea taking on Real Madrid, that big game at the bottom, including Everton and Burnley as well. But remember, uh, if you're enjoying The Times and The Sunday Times, then make sure you're subscribed for more of our award-winning journalism sign up today you'll get yourself one month free as well check it out online it's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game we'll see you on thursday 